Meditation. 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 Depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, I feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice... I can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City podcast. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is How Uncertainty Can Heal the Body. In this episode, we will discuss the healing characteristics of uncertainty and how our need to create certainty and stability in our lives can be harmful to our bodies. Today, we are joined by Dan Kayer. Dan is a Westchester-based teacher and writer who is committed to helping others change habitual patterns, find freedom from pain, and create a sane relationship with their body. He is a longtime meditator and trained instructor. After a serious injury left Dan unable to work or take care of himself, he began training in the Alexander Technique. His return to health, as well as his deep experience with the physical, mental, and emotional aspects of pain and illness, inspired him to help others. Dan now teaches an integration of mindfulness and the Alexander Technique as a method of recovering balance and well-being. Here's Dan to take away the discussion. So in Buddhism, it teaches that our efforts to kind of create certainty, to create this like solid sense of, I'm Dan, I'm X. Uh, so I'll give you so an example. So um, when I was in my mid-20s, I developed this chronic pain condition where I couldn't really use my arms and my hands for a couple years. So that became very problematic for a lot of reasons, but also because I'm Dan, who's able-bodied, and I'm a man, and I seem healthy, and I like to be independent and not have my five foot three girlfriend carrying all my bags. So I had this sense of who Dan was, but then Dan wasn't that anymore. And there was a lot of suffering around that because I wasn't kind of meeting my expectations. So another way we create certainty, right, is of course this sense of permanence. We're gonna live forever. This body, this body's gonna be around for forever. Or I can control what's going on at work. I can control my body. I can control my feelings. Those are all these kinds of ways in which we try to create certainty and uh, stability. And um, so the ego is what's created to kind of help with this. And we experience that in our meditation all the time. Our, you know, our ego kind of self-soothing during meditation. So we're thinking about all the things we have to do next about other people, thinking about ourselves, the future, the past. So there's a lot of suffering in there, and that's pretty clear from the Buddhist tradition. So what I'm going to be talking about tonight is this other way that we try to create certainty, and um, as it relates to the body. So um, one of the central kind of premises of the Alexander Technique is this notion of end-gaining, E-N-D-G-A-I-N-I-N-G, end-gaining. I'm kind of nasally, so people always hear different words when I say that. Um, But end gaining is when we really focus or fixate on a result and we lose touch with the process. So we're really kind of outcome obsessed and we don't have any sense of presence or process. So I'm going to give you a bunch of examples about this because that's a very kind of abstract answer. So... um, 
I have these, my inbox, it's swollen. I feel behind on things. So classic end gaining, we all do this, is like, let me just bang this one out. Let me just bang this out. Without breathing, tensing everything, sounding maybe a little pissy, you know? Uh, so that's one example of end gaining. Uh, like how all New Yorkers eat constantly. The outcome is finishing your meal. <laughs> it's not the process of eating, you know? So none of these things are moral. These aren't sins. This isn't immoral to end gain. I end gain all the time. But end gaining is in many ways, um, it's our response to not wanting to feel, not wanting to suffer, or not wanting to feel discomfort. So I'm feeling fear in my body, so I constantly start brainstorming all the things that I have to do next, or should do. I run through my to-do list over and over again. It's like a kind of end gaining, you know? I'm just trying to resolve everything, and I don't have the time or the capacity to feel what I'm feeling right now. I will be a human being later, but for now, I gotta get shit done. I have to minimize my uncertainty. So uh, end gaining takes a real toll on our body. Our body is kind of like the repository for end gaining in a certain way, right? Our, um, George Orwell said something like, by the time a person is 40, get, they get the faith they deserve. <laughs> I'm not, it's not exactly what I'm saying, but it did just occur to me. So sort of like our posture or patterns, and I don't mean this in any sense of like, we deserve it because we're a bad person. It's more like karma, it's our karma of the way we act in our lives, it shows up in our bodies. So just like we have mental habits that we um, sort of cultivate over time towards reactivity or isolation or judgment, whatever they are, well, we have these physical habits too. And they're not so cl cleanly divided, by the way, between mental and physical, and we'll sort of explore that later tonight as well. Well, we have this kind of habit. Pema Chodron, I think, calls it like habit energy, she talks about, this sense of like, kind of like the feeling tone of our habits. There's a kind of feeling tone. This is kind of what I kept asking about. What does it feel like as you're about to begin your meditation practice? What does it feel like during your meditation? I know for me, like, I long had this experience when I would start to meditate of like, it was like a tightening of my sphincter when I would start to meditate. Like, time to clamp. <laughs> time to control. Now is my chance to take all that stuff and um, mindfulness destroy it. And so there was a sense of trying hard and tensing and kind of narrowing. So that's just an interesting thing, by the way, as an aside, for you to start to notice, like, do, what's my, what do I feel like as I'm going into meditation? Because really, in many ways, it really shouldn't be different than, like, right now. Like, you're paying attention to me, or not, <laughs> to your senses, and we're here. You don't have to try. Awareness is natural. We're always aware. Even when we're aware of our thoughts, which is what we're usually aware of, something is aware of. The effort we apply is just kind of coming back. And that's the only effort. The effort is not about not, tr not thinking, not feeling. Was, that's kind of wrong effort, they would say in, in, in Zen. I'm just going to pause here for a sec. Any questions so far? Confusions? Yes. 
there's the possibility uh, I heard it said here Microphone. Sorry, would you mind using that? Tonight, yeah, that you can be too loose or too tight. I've yeah. Heard. In what way? When did you think that? Well, you said it's just like right now. Right now, you're paying attention yes. to me. You know, it's just the same. You know, and yes. I'm like, no, we got to up it a little. I feel I'm too tight, and I'm you way too, too tight. Too but, tight. But okay. what you were advocating got me kind of like, well, we need to be a little tighter yeah. than just now. So what, what would tighter be? How do you get, what's that tighter? Uh, a sense of intention, perhaps. Intention, okay. Yeah, because I've also heard it, you know, set your intention prior mm -hmm. to beginning, you know. So it's not just now. It's not just every day. There's something a little heightened. But so, then there's that balance point. So talk know? about that intention. So you have this intention. Mm -hmm. And do you have that, do you kind of raise that while you're sitting? I, I sometimes, often I forget to do that. But, when, yeah. but yes, so when I'm sitting, then I go, okay, wait a minute, what, what am I doing? Oh, right, I'm letting go of thoughts or labeling thoughts, returning to the breath uh, without judgment, mm. without mm. punishment. Um, and then I often try and do a contemplation in, yeah. as well, but all right. Okay. But I, I'm way too tight, but okay. I got nervous when yeah, you, okay. like you were advocating too loose. Yeah, like free love in, in, in <laughs> your session. Like, yeah, um, something like that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you where I'm coming from, sort of, with it, which is that the reason why I said where, uh, actually, you, were you here at the beginning? Okay, so, so I didn't mean, <laughs> I'm not <laughs> guilting you. So the reason why I'm saying that is because I said something in the beginning about we're highlighting the difference between what it feels like when our awareness is with our body and what it feels like when our awareness is not with our body. So thinking about work, thinking about, you know, our bank account. And so really kind of highlighting the difference between the two. So the place where I'm coming from is, I think many people have a narrowly defined expectation of what their meditation experience should be like. That it should be calm or ordered, or um, they should have some sense of, maybe being in control, but also the underlying thing is sort of that like thinking is kind of bad. Maybe they sort of intellectually know that it's not bad, they've heard teachers say that, but there's still often the sense of thinking, thinking. There I go again, you know? And so that becomes this whole like, don't look at category. But I'm really interested in like feeling what it feels like when you're there as well, because that experience of thinking is just as valid as the experience of sort of not thinking, of being with the body. And when we kind of bifurcate the two, which I'm not saying you are, but I'm saying this is kind of a, like a, I think a bit of a, uh, a current sort of in the way we talk about it in the West. When we sort of bring our like good, bad, kind of when that seeps into our meditation experience, it's really problematic because people start to be like, they develop this like, they're like become allergic to their own mind. Like, their mind is freaking out, and it's like, that's a problem. You know, it's like, they, so they start attacking their own mind in current, or their own body, you know? So I'm sort of, I try to be very kind of careful about like, um, not sort of making one kind of better than the other in the practice. Anyway. Oh, thank you, that's very interesting, thank okay. you. Thanks for your comment. If I'm jumping ahead, let me know. Um, okay. So what's coming up for me is desire, and I'm curious, is there a direct relationship between desire and, and gaining? 
meaning if I let go of desire, am I acknowledging and gaining? Am I letting go of and gaining? That's a, such a great question. So did you all hear that about desire? Yeah, so I mean actually that relates to that quote that I said by Suzuki Roshi at the beginning, which is he said that what's more important than gaining enlightenment is understanding our desire for enlightenment. And so that I think really relates to what you just asked, which is we're not let, I'm not, I'm not, Dan is not advocating letting go of desire. What I am advocating letting go of is the result of you, like letting go of you, the outcome in a certain sense. The desire is there, you're feeling the desire. You might feel the desire to not have pain or to have a certain, my wife and I are in this home buying process. I have a very strong desire for this to work out, you know? And to deny that would be nuts. But what I'm trying to let go of is grasping at the future outcome. Does that make sense? And so what, actually, the way that this relates to end gaining is that by really acknowledging our desire, and that's what we often don't do, we focus on the things we want to happen and we don't get in touch with what is vulnerable, which is like our desire, you know? I want this relationship to work out, you know? I don't want to be hurt. And um, rather than just grasping, on, I, want this, I want to win in this situation. And so with end gaining, it's really about um, kind of feeling your desire. That's part of it, you know? And that's, kind of, that's a groundless state. And in Buddhism, we generally like groundless states. I'm going to keep going, and then anything else comes up, you let me know. So, um, okay, so here's another great example of end gaining. So, I'm sitting here, and I'm kind of slumping, and then um, it's like, oh, shit. And we kind of come back up, and then maybe we do that again. We kind of jerk ourselves, or like our back hurts, and we notice that we're in kind of a not great posture, and so we kind of pull up against it. So, in that situation, it's not that it's bad that we're doing that, right? We have this very earnest desire, I don't want to be in pain, you know, for the latter at least. I don't want to be in pain. But with end gaining, what the problem is, it's unconscious. So, um, the problem is that it's our habit, it's autopilot. And, and so, because we're operating on autopilot, we generally aren't getting the kind of outcomes that we want to have. So, it's similar in, some, in many ways to the noble truths, which is, the fact that we sort of create more suffering through ignorance or aversion, it's not, it's not, the problem is not that it's a, it's a, we're bad or that it's a moral thing. It's that it just doesn't work. It just doesn't do what we want it to do. We don't kind of get the outcomes we want. So um, all of this kind of points in many ways to like uh, a more kind of process-oriented way of relating with our body. Just like Buddhism is a process-oriented way of living. And so one of the kind of ways that end gaining really shows up for us is we often feel it through tension. Tension, tightness, some kind of, like Pema would say, that kind of habit energy. So if we think about some kind of situation right now, let's call to mind some kind of situation in your life that you feel very invested in it turning out a certain way. So it's, it could be something personal in your life or at work, something in which you feel very invested. So for me in this real estate thing, it's like, just feel kind of your body sort of around this topic. Let's call this to mind. So something you have very, you really want it to work out in a certain way. 
And then it's just checking in. What's happening in my body right now? And it doesn't need to change. So tension and tightness is one of the ways that we kind of first get our kind of whiff of end gaining usually. And the goal, by the way, of the Alexander Technique is not to eliminate all tension, just like the goal of Buddhism is not to eliminate thoughts or emotions. It's really about us changing our relationship to, uh, to the, like the stimuli of life, to the things, to the things we desire, the things we want to change and have happen. So tonight's going to be a bit of an exploration of, of our own kind of end gaining here. Um, this question that I'm going to keep asking is one that my very first Alexander Technique teacher, um, Hope Martin, who's also a Shambhala Buddhist teacher, Hope Martin, she said, she asked me because she could really see that I was trying to make my own end gaining. I came to her when I was having this chronic pain into like a good, bad sort of thing. Like when I'm tensing, that's bad. And when I'm not, that's good. And the question she kept asking is, how is end gaining showing up for you right now? So it's a given. It's going to show up. We're all going to end gain. It's like human nature is to try really hard. And the opportunity we have is to work with it in a skillful and a kind way. And so that's what kind of what we're going to talk about a bit tonight. Any questions so far? It's not really a question. That's okay. I'll take it. I have a chronic pain condition from a, a very bad accident. And um. I just, you made me realize that end gaming is like a constant yeah. to a certain extent, not, yeah. not in that necessarily Alexander technique way of using it's one, but it's a constant and through time in that you want it to end so badly. You wonder if there'll ever be an end, yes. if it's even possible. So on some level, there is a desperation that's yes. always going, even yeah. if you're mindful and controlling it. Controlling it's, what? It's there. The desperation for the pain to uh, end. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can't deny that. No way. I wouldn't There's control no... it. I think it's very healthy to want to to want to feel better. It's very healthy. That's not antithetical to uh, to Buddhism. But it on. feels harmful at times. I mean, it's almost that you need to get rid of that, but you can't. It's our response to it. The, the neurosis, desire. The, the, neurosis come, the, the neurosis is not that you want to not feel pain. The neurosis is how we go about doing it. Mm-hmm. And, be, yeah. and, dry, and like attacking ourselves, kind of um, always living in the future and the past, doing things that aren't working over and over again. That's the neurosis. But you feeling what you've want to feel, I think is really healthy. And when we don't have that, that's problematic. When we've kind of lost that desire to be better, that's not really thriving, you know? So, so I had this experience, and I'll talk a little bit about it, so like, maybe this would be helpful. Like, so when I went to my Alexander training, so I had this problem with my arms and my hands where I, um, just doing, holding a piece of paper caused like so much pain, you know? I was opening drawers with my feet. It was a rough patch. And in the Alexander Technique, you put hands on people, just very gently, but there's this hands-on component. And our teachers would talk about, it's really important to have free and open wrists and hands and arms. And I had like the worst arms. (laughs) My arms were not free and open and light. They were a mess. I was a mess. 
But I wanted to do well at the Alexander Technique because I wanted to heal myself. I wanted to someday have an income and teach. So my end gaining was to kind of uh, not feel how ashamed I felt, not feel how scared I was, and constantly try to control everything. So the way, so this is kind of leading into one of the main ways that we end gain is through like, and I'm gonna, it's a little bit difficult to describe in words, but is by physically kind of trying to kind of control our body all the time, directly control. And by that, I mean this. So, okay, so Roger Federer, tennis player, so if he's gonna hit the ball cross court, what he doesn't do is think, I'm gonna tense my bicep, tense my tricep, and then I'm gonna turn my hips, bend my knees, right? He just thinks, I want the ball to go over there, and then he has the intention, and then his neuromuscular system delivers. It's very accurate. <laughs> he has a very accurate intention, you know? An athlete who's not that good or starting out is thinking about all of those things. They're micromanaging. And when you hear athletes say something's not going well, they were in their own head. They were overthinking it. And when it's going really well, they're in the flow. They're in flow. They're not thinking. So the way that we generally try, especially our response to pain, but to almost anything is, okay, sitting up straight, prime example. Our sense of sitting up straight is based on what feels right. But we don't have a computer in our brain that says this is right. We just have our habits. So it's just based on where we're coming from. So I work with some ex-dancers who were really kind of taught sort of this sort of thing, chest up, shoulders back. And so for them to kind of let that go a little bit, it feels like this. So they don't do it because it feels wrong. It's not wrong, but it feels wrong. And so, so back to me and Alexander School and putting hands on. So I kept trying to feel, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? And all my attention, because we're wired this way, we're wired that our attention is always going to the part of us that's in pain because our brain thinks it's an emergency, even if we've had the back pain for 10 years. It's still wired that way. So the more we kind of focus, and this is a kind of a tricky thing, by the way, in, sort of, in terms of mindfulness, is that the more we kind of focus on the part of us that's in pain over and over again, the more that our brain sort of learns to adapt and that's how it should be. So the answer is not to repress it or ignore it. The answer is this thing called inhibition, not Freudian inhibition, it's not that, okay? It's in the context of the Alexander Technique, inhibition is kind of asking, so Roger Federer is kind of asking for the ball to go across the court in a certain way. He has an intention, right? So it's much more profitable when we're working with our body to have an intention rather than to say, let me sit up straight. And so I'll give you an example here. So let's do something. Let's, let's all sit up straight. Pretend your mom just stormed in on, the, on you. Sit up straight. So just feel what that's like to kind of sit up straight. Don't change it, just notice it. How's your breathing? How's your butt muscles doing? Okay, so, okay, so now let's try something else. Let's drop that for a moment. We'll drop the sitting up straight. And we're gonna do something where I'm just gonna ask you to have a sense of which way it kind of up is in your mind. So. Which way is the sky? And you don't have to do anything about it. 
you're just kind of holding that in your mind. And you also have a sense of which way down is. So we're on the third floor. So, which, so let's, can we hold these twin concepts here? Which way up is, which way down is? Yeah. And now let's add this thought of, from our right to our left. So out past our right shoulder, out past our left shoulder. So we don't need to try hard here. So in fact, that's our first inhibition. Just thinking to yourself, I don't need to try hard right now. Thinking to yourself, I don't need to be good at this. Just having a sense of which way up is, which way down is. I don't even have to know how to sit. So I don't have to be certain what good sitting is. Just having a sense of which way up is, which way down is, and now which way back is behind us. Just kind of having this sense of our spatial awareness. Okay. All right. So what's that like for people? Any noticings, questions? I'm not, it's not a leading question. What was that like? Spacious, okay. Same, can you say more, if you don't mind? Or maybe the contrast between the two or something for you? Uh, a lot of times when I'm meditating, I'm focusing on like my muscles breathing. Yeah. And so this kind of almost reminds me of that there's things outside of my body and kind of that, you know, almost like breathing into the space instead of just breathing inside my body. Yeah. Thank you. Anyone else? I, I did notice a subtle shift in myself, um, but I, I'm wondering about the fact that it was in the context of sitting up straight, mm. that you, you see, we were talking about sitting up straight and then you talked about these directions. Yeah, And so I, I found my head finding up, and my pelvis finding down. Yes. You know, so, so um, there was some of that. So, so maybe the fact that you already kind of had some sense of that position or posture that made it easier for that. Is that what you're saying, sort of? Or am I, awesome. I, I, I don't, it's more that um, it was like up in context of posture. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that makes sense. I think that's, you know, if you were like chilling and watching the Super Bowl and I was saying this, it might be like less effective, but we're in a meditation room and... Um, in these chairs, the backs aren't very good. I think that, okay, actually, I'll just leave it at that. Thank you. Any, anyone else? I think, I think you just said this, but there was this sense of trust that allowed me to let go. Yeah. So as I thought up and down, I didn't have to think, all right, let me train my body to respond to up. It was more so I just thought up and my body started to ease off a little bit. Yeah. That's interesting that you say it like that. Yeah, so there is this element of trust. And when we don't do this, what we're doing is, does this feel right? So we're checking in. Is this my habit? Does this feel like my habit? Because 
it's hard, it would be hard for our brain to every time we sit have to figure out how to sit. It's a lot easier for our brain to be like, I know what sitting is, so that I can talk to you as I'm sitting, right? And we can eat a meal and do all this stuff. But what we're stepping out of when we inhibit is stepping out of like our familiar pattern of what feels right to us. And the reason why I'm saying up and down is our posture actually is related to our vestibular system. So the sitting up straight doesn't really work, but what does work is when we allow gravity to go down through us, there's this postural response. And so being, thinking about up and down and back, you know, where most of your postural muscles are, is a more indirect kind of sneaky way of thinking about posture that, that bypasses the, is this the way I always do it? But what it does is it taps into our back muscles where our posture is, and, and it gives us kind of the direction for our system to point in. So that's, that's why I said that also. I think, I think this is what you, you were kind of saying, but maybe in another way, I, it just seems simpler. Yeah. So instead of thinking what different parts of my body were doing, yes. I was just doing this one, I was yeah. just thinking this one word and then this other one word and yeah. my body was responding to the word yeah. or the direction. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. That was good. <laughs> yeah. Good. Sounds good. Thanks. Okay. So I have another one. So this is always kind of a tricky thing to introduce, especially in the context of us being, some of us being seasoned Buddhist meditators. But I'm going to ask you in the next one, to your, in, your intention is going to be to ask to not have to focus so much on your own body and not have to focus so much on your own feelings. Yeah, I'm going to ask you to ask yourselves to not have to focus so much on my own body. And, I, and I'm going to explain exactly what I mean by that. I don't mean... I'm going to pretend I don't have a body. Uh, we're not repressing. We're not pushing anything away. We're just having this intention to not have to focus so much on our own body. So what I mean by that is you're allowing sensation to come to you. You don't need to go looking for sensation. Okay? Sensation is always coming to us. Sound, light, physical sensation, feeling. But the sense often is kind of what you were describing a little bit of like we feel something and then we zoom in. 50,000 watt flashlight on what we're feeling. Our pain, some discomfort, anxiety. So there's a sense of just kind of asking to not have to kind of focus so much on it. So let's try that, okay? You can never do it again if you don't want to, okay? So just as you're kind of sitting where you are, maybe we'll just meditate for a minute or two and coming again back to the experience of our body breathing, but you're just allowing sensation to come to you. So the thought is, I don't have to focus so much on my own body. It's just a request. And then you let go of the results. You don't have to make it happen. You ask and you let go. I don't have to be in charge of my own experience. I don't have to be in control of my body. I don't even really have to know about my body. And then our brain inevitably kind of zooms down into particular parts. Nothing's wrong. How is end gaining showing up for you right now? Just asking to not have to be in charge of your body or your experience. It's not up to you.
What was that like? It's a, a really delicate sense of balance where you're... Um, I'm, I'm trying to allow the allow things to come to me. Yes. But as soon as I try to allow things to come to me, I'm not allowing things to come to me anymore. Now I'm endgaming the allowing things to come to me. Totally. And it's, it's, it's totally. like walking a very thin tightrope of... I don't the know. It feels oh, like sorry. a very physical balance, almost. It's a real balance. And the, t- the tightrope you're walking is just being present. Right. So when we start trying hard, there's... We're often kind of not quite you're in the present anymore. Trying to be anymore. present, and instead of being present, you're thinking about being present, and you're lost in that thought. I should be a different kind of present right now, trying right. to be. Right, or, yes. or I shouldn't lose this presence. Yes. You become aware. This, I'm present. This is awesome. Uh, no, no, I'm not anymore. I'm with you. <laughs> it was terrifying. <laughs> it was terrifying. Yeah. Um, the the idea of not being in control of my body or that that there is um, that I can let go of that seems liberating at first and then it sort of sunk in and I was terrified yeah (laughs) Uh, because then who is and what is happening and what are all of these things that are and so then that became a different kind of end game for me Um, yes that's just like kind of like in the beginning when I was talking about um, the uncertainty is kind of always there and so this is just, when I say we're not in control of our body, I also want to be really clear that it's not like it doesn't matter what you eat or sleeping well isn't important. I just mean in this moment. Like, so it's very much like this kind of moment. In this moment, there's kind of nothing to be done, sort of, you know? And I think it is often kind of, it can be very frightening because we feel more secure with our like habitual sense of me, my tightness, my heaviness. And like you said, feeling like I have some control. Ironically, we have more control when we do it this way, right? When we did the posture thing, it's more control. But it's, it's, it's indirect. So what we're doing kind of from a brain perspective in the Alexander Technique is like, and, and this is in, in many ways what we're doing in some contemplative practices and meditation too. So we frame an intention with our prefrontal cortex. But what we're doing is we're asking the other parts. So in terms of the Alexander Technique, we're asking the older parts of our brain to take over more, the parts that are actually more suited to our coordination, our movement, our balance. Prefrontal cortex is not really good at controlling our movement. We overthink it, we overdo it. So we're kind of using the Alexander technique to kind of step out of our own way. Um, it, that, thank you for that explanation. It sort of feels like, um, uh, how do I want to say this? It sort of feels like a mask has been taken off. Yeah. Or like, it's, um, because it's, uh, it seems somewhat more simple. I, I don't know exactly how to say it. Like, it sort of feels like, okay, well, now I get to feel the fear. Yeah. Like, I don't have to put the layer of the mask over it. You yeah. know, like, I, perhaps I'm not in control of my body at this moment. And that fear becomes very, the fear that maybe I've been putting aside all day or whatever, or my whole life, becomes, really comes to the the front, and it's in a way refreshing, but also, you know, I'm feeling it. <laughs> Here's another thing you can do. Step two, when that happens, you also are welcome to say, and I do this a lot, I'm asking to not have to react so much to my own fear. I'm not saying I don't have fear. I do. But what I am kind of talking, the part that I'm talking to is the part of me that's going, oh shit, I'm scared, oh shit, I'm scared, as opposed to just being scared. 
So I will kind of say that to myself sometimes. I don't have to react so much to my own fear. I don't have to react so much to my own pain. I'm allowing them all to be there, but there's a, a tremendous amount more space kind of in that situation and less ownership. Yeah. I found it really liberating, actually, um, because I was having like some stomach pains, nothing yeah. severe or anything. Yeah. But um, letting go of the sense of ownership and control. Yeah. Yeah. It became. I, I, I realized. Um, I, it was sort of like a stomach is hurting, <laughs> rather than my stomach is hurting, which is a serious thing that's going on, and I don't want that. Yeah. You know, it was like, okay, there are sensations yeah. that are, are painful, but um, it was just more spacious, and yes. uh, the, the, there wasn't the same quality of suffering. Yes. That's interesting. Thank you for sharing. Sorry. Just going off of that, I felt that I definitely have that similar tendency to, like, localize the pain, and I found that in this time when I kind of had let go for a minute, I felt like my whole body really tensing up and all these different kind of just a lot of like physical noise and then um and then that kind of evaporating within like 30 seconds yeah. but um and yeah i just kind of like usually that localizing or like a certain physical pain then you can focus on that and so yeah could you say more about that so normally you localize like you're feeling some pain right and you normally localize it right yeah, I guess like my lower back feels like all warm and like my whole body's tensing up. And yes. then I felt like all my kind of like physical pains and like all over. And then I kind of was like, okay with that, had that distance and then it evaporates in a sense. or you get that room from the problem, like how you're saying. Thanks, thanks for sharing. Yeah, of course. Okay, can we do one last goofy one? Okay. so. Let's take our meditation posture here for a moment. <clears throat> so we're about to start meditating, so just feel what that's like in you. And now we're going to say to ourselves, I'm not meditating. And that's all we just do for the next minute or so, just kind of asking. I don't have to meditate. I'm not meditating. And just see what that's like. No part of me is meditating. I don't even know what meditation is. that fun? No? <laughs> Why not? Do you want to say it, Kate? Doing that, I completely tightened up. Oh, okay. Just going, I'm not meditating. I'm not meditating. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was yeah. kind of fun, though. That, it was fun? Yeah. All it was, right. It was almost like reverse world. Reverse what? Re like a, in the, a reverse world, like I'm sitting here, but I'm not meditating. Yeah. So my it, whole body kind of went... And just to be clear, you may not, you're not trying not to meditate. You're just asking. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 
Great, thank you. Well, <clears throat> for me, it was like it was like a mantra. So yeah, but, uh, <laughs> of course. Yeah. So I'm not thinking about anything else at that point. I'm just bringing myself back to thinking about yeah the words which are I'm not meditating. So yes. In a way, I was meditating. Of course. That's right. You weren't not aware. This practice does not make you unaware, right? Right. Yes. So it kind of reminds me of sometimes if I have to work on Sunday to get ready for the week and I don't want to work on Sunday, it's like extra. But then I trick myself into thinking I'm not work like I'm not really working on Sunday. Like uh, I'm, I'm gonna uh -huh. put on like I'm gonna do it in a cafe I like and that's not work. Or yeah. it, it kinda reminded me of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it made me feel a little impatient. Uh, kind of like uh, it reminded me of like sitting on the subway. It's like I just want to get to the end of destination. Yeah, so it's like totally. I'm sitting here not meditating. Like, okay, when's this going to be over? Because I'm not doing anything. Yes. What's next? Yes. Yeah, I'm not saying that you should do this for your entire meditation. <laughs> Disclaimer. Uh, so I don't get kicked out of Shambhala. Uh, it's more like as a way of kind of examining like the difference between the two. Like what it feels like when we don't do that. And what it feels like when we asked to not meditate and kind of basically if you've been meditating for a while you have this kind of habit of all right here we go again ding thinking thinking think you know it's kind of get a little humdrum about it and um, they really talk a lot in meditation especially in Zen they talk a lot about ready mind the mind that's ready and it's very easy to not have a ready mind when you've been meditating for a while you're like okay fear you know and so sort of to say to ourselves, like, I'm not meditating, it's we're asking to kind of not centralize. We're asking to kind of not kind of close down around and limit the possibilities of what we're going to experience. And it's also a way of kind of not falling into the usual like um, habitual tensions as well around our posture. We tend to have a very set posture. Let me get here. Okay, now I'm going to start. Now I work with my mind that my body is set. But the body's never really set. It's always changing while we're meditating. We're breathing, we're having emotions, we're digesting, we're having pain. And so it's always changing. And so the, the, the spirit of that that I like of this is, is that there's nothing to hold on to. You know, just, I'm here. And so I'm not pretending that I know what's going to happen. And I like that. Yeah. Shambhala language the just being yeah i'm just being yes it puts us in touch with our nature i mean this is kind of like what you were saying about this was your mantra you know our nature is to be aware and i feel like what this reveals is the times in which we don't trust ourselves to be aware we, we have to bring something else extra to the practice now i'm meditating meditating means trying hard it means wrestling with my mind or wrestling with my body but this is really about getting in touch with your basic kind of nature which is aware. Okay, so uh, just to kind of close up tonight, there, if people have questions, um, I'm, I'm going to open to that. But just that, um, when we talk about, when I wrote about how uncertainty can heal the body, we're not manufacturing uncertainty, right? So we're not trying to create more uncertainty. It's just that's the game. The, the game, our life is, there's so much uncertainty. And our efforts to limit that and control it on a constant basis are what really disconnect us from our body and it disconnects us from other people and from spontaneity, from 
living in New York, you know. And so using the skill of inhibition with our own end gaining, kind of asking how is end gaining showing up, and using these various skills of inhibition, I don't have to focus so much on my own body, I don't have to be in charge right now. I do this funny thing sometimes when I teach Alexander Technique, I say I'm not teaching the Alexander Technique to myself. Because <laughs> I noticed that my, I would change into Dan the Alexander Technique teacher, and Dan the Alexander Technique teacher was very concerned with not fucking up. And um, it would be tight. I'd be tight and self-conscious. I'm not doing the Alexander Technique, you know? Uh, and of course that frees me up to actually be more what the situation calls for. We become more responsive to what the situation calls for rather than how we think we should be. So thank you all very much. Are there any questions or anything before we close? I'm not trying to rush if, if anyone has questions or anything. Yeah. I am more interested in the Alexander Technique. What resources, website, et cetera? Yeah. Uh, well, there's um, a, a lot of great teachers in New York City. So. Um, if you go to the American Society for the Alexander Technique, it has certified teachers in New York. I teach in New York. I teach in Midtown and in Brooklyn. Um, find a teacher near you. Yeah, that's what I would do. There's group classes, one-on-one um, -on -one classes, and my favorite book about the Alexander Technique is called How You Stand, How You Move, How You Live by a woman named Missy Vineyard. How You Stand, How You Move, How You Live. It's great. Hi. Um I find a lot of allegory in this with some other elements of my meditation. I had over the winter uh, a few months, I have a daily meditation practice, I had a few months where it was like torture <laughs> every morning. Um, and so much of what you talked about today, and I sort of got through it, I, I changed where I meditated and I started to work with different things, and, um, but so much of what you talked about today really helped me to see some of that, you know, like I, how um, so much of my meditation, because I've been doing it for a few years, was about attacking my mind. Yeah. And so there, there's so much, I don't ever really think about how I do that with my body. Yeah. But I'm seeing how they're related. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's giving me a very new awareness of, um, of myself as a meditator. So thank you very much. You're welcome. I mean, the difference between the mind and the body, and even though they're not really disconnected, but the body has texture in a way that like, so we perceive things by feeling. And so I find that the more you start to tune into your body, the more your ability as a meditator to be discerning increases because you're all aware of this kind of ever-changing experience of what it feels like right now. And that's really the way in. And so when we find yourself attacking, it doesn't work to say stop attacking ourselves, but if we feel what we're experiencing without having to really change it, you've already kind of broke the habitual cycle, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, how did you, when you were in active, you're, you're not in, you don't have pain anymore? No, I do have pain. You do? Mm -hmm. A lot less, a lot less. So when you're, in a flare-up, let's yeah, say, yeah. okay, like the mm -hmm. throes of a bad one. Mm -hmm. um, where do you find you go most? Yeah, it's um, a good question. To some degree, I'm less scared of my 
pain than I was, you know, for, so it's sort of like I have it, it's a lot less than it used to be. It's a lot less physically, but it also has a lot less freight to it. So pain used to mean also like an indictment, like, oh shit, I haven't been doing my exercises enough, or oh, I did this thing again. Because my hands are so sensitive that it would be like, I would like dial the phone and be like, oh, now I have this pain cycle. So there's so much like blame and kind of shame. And so that has really kind of, is a lot lighter, the whole experience. So it's like, oh, I'm just feeling pain. And so the other thing I do, this is kind of like my, well, your original question about the leg moving is like, I just listen to my body. I don't be like, oh, should I, should I lay down or should I not lay down? Well, if I didn't yeah. lay down, maybe I would develop the kind of personal, you know. Right. I don't do that anymore. Okay, I need to lay down. I just listen to my body and practice with my awareness, whatever happens next, you know? So that's one. But then the other, the main thing that I'm really doing a lot of sort of these days is, is kind of, it's a bit outside the scope of what I talked about today, but really working with my own habit to like kind of over-focus, obsess, and try to control my pain and try to control my body. So I, I work a lot with what we in the Alexander Technique call like direction, which is about like, our alignment, our openness, and our body, but it's very indirect. It's really through asking. And so for me, I spend a lot of time, if I'm in pain, I do this other thing too. So you're all gonna think I'm crazy, but so for a long time I'd be like, I don't have arms. So I'd be like drinking a glass of water and I'd be like, yeah. this is not an arm activity. Uh -huh. So I'm, I wasn't crazy. But what I was doing is my brain's habit was okay, I'm using my arms, these painful limbs, yeah. so I'm gonna put all of my noticing and tension and effort into it. But if I start to be like, this is not an arm activity, this is like a trunk activity, mm -hmm. which actually is, that's really actually how it is, right? Limbs, trunk. And so the more that I'm with like a sense of my whole trunk expanding and lengthening, the arms are not the main show, right? This is what's more important, like this kind of central sort of structure that we have. So it helps shift me towards the ways that create more integration rather than focusing on my disintegration in my mm -hmm. system. Does that make sense? And you, you, you don't have any more fear about uh, you know, what is really happening. Is there something more serious wrong you know, going on? Uh, I don't, be, largely because maybe my condition is stabilized and it's also been 11 years, mm -hmm. you know? So it's been a while, but I did go through a lot of that. But that's just more uncertainty, you know? In the same way that everyone in this room doesn't know when, how long they have left on Earth. It's just more acute for people who have some kind of health sort of condition, you know? So it's okay to have that fear. Fear is not the problem. Um, Pema Chodron said that fear is the recognition of space. So. It's the recognition that things could go this way or that way or this way. And our body recognizes it before our mind does. Does this make sense? So we feel the fear and then we try to put the story in it. So the body recognizes that we don't know exactly how this is going to go in a certain way. One last. Are yeah. you able to complete, completely fight the, well, I don't know, I'm just saying, deal, deal with the temptation, okay, so I'm just saying even a little bit, to go down any kind of depression how do I work uh, with mode sadness yeah. and depression yeah about about that 
that this is the way. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely had, I've gone through periods where I was really sad and about, it. and I certainly have my kind of ups and downs, just sort of daily ups and downs like anyone. Um, but it's been like a real journey for me, and um, I, I actually am glad that this happened to me because I had to see what it feels like to be a human being who things are not working out the way that they expected it or wanted it to be. So I had an extremely conditional sense of myself. I'm a good person if I make a certain amount of money, if I have this job, if I look, you know, can do all this stuff. And that's not self-love. That's like I've met the standards. And so I've had to have a more unconditional relationship with myself um, and see myself, see Dan who's scared and freaking out and all this stuff. And, um, and that's really good. I'm a kinder person and I'm happier as a result of it. it hasn't been easy, but that's, um, it's been a real path. It's been my path. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.